Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, Innovation as a Service with Andrew Cohen, Managing Director of NetSurit. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So it's Andrew Cohen, uh, former CEO of Evoke and now Managing Director of uh, NetSurit. So Andrew, tell, tell my audience a little bit about yourself and your background and uh, why you're talking to us today. Okay, great. Well, thanks, Darren. Thanks for having me on today. Just probably going back to how you introduced me. You know, I'm a, actually a former North Carolinian, moved to New York back in 97, I believe. And I started a company called Evoke. We really focused on, you know, technology design back then. And then over the years, we evolved into really a digital transformation company, really focusing on helping companies create modern workplaces and, you know, just accelerate user engagement and employee engagement on our kind of projects we work on. And recently, at the end of uh, 2021, we were approached uh, probably a little before the end of 2021, right after COVID, from a company called NetSurit. That's the company I'm part of now. We were acquired, and they're a global MSP, one of the largest MSPs. Uh, they have operations in the U.S. and in South Africa and now in Poland. So we, they form like the traditional MSP model, and which is you know, managed services, IT, cybersecurity, all the good infrastructure stuff, which we call foundation work. They wanted us to fit into a particular niche, what we call NetCert Automate, which is the innovation team at NetCert. So I head that up. I'm the managing director of that NetCert Automate group. And we really focus on innovation and creating um, automation, special kind of uh, situations, help companies accelerate better processes, improvements in terms of how they do their daily jobs. So it's been a really interesting last year. I've been a part of it for a year now and exciting and looking forward to what the future is going to bring. So th this is really, you know, I, re I remember when we first talked, I was like intrigued right. that it's innovation as a service. I, because my brain first goes, wait, you can't, you can't package innovation into mm -hmm. a little bundle that you sell. And then when you started talking right. to me about it, I went, huh, I like, I like your approach. It's very interesting. Oh, uh, this innovation as a service concept. Tell, tell our audience a little bit about what that means. When you say innovation as a service, first thing that comes to my mind is Thomas um, Edison. <laughs> well, that would be great if we were that level. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but you guys actually do some things that kind of help with the whole innovation process and and free people Absolutely. up to do more innovative things than redundant work. Yeah, terrific. No, that's a thank you for that. I mean, in terms of how we define innovation as a service, it's what we call perpetual innovation, perpetual agility. So we believe that, like you just said, you can't bottle it up. Innovation is not a final destination, especially with all the changes in business, how people are doing business from you know, hybrid workforces now to people being forced to come back to work. There's all these opportunities to create better process efficiencies, business efficiencies to make them better employee experiences. And then in terms of how we do it as a service, it's a monthly ongoing type of opportunity where we find areas that are really challenging from an organization, from whether it's a manual repetitive process, disparate systems that don't speak to each other, uh, disparate workforces that are having hard times communicating, collaborating. We look at how we stitch all that together from the operational effect in this point of view and deliver solutions in terms of things that they can leverage to their technology investment. We help implement the solutions in, on top of that. 
And then in parallel, we're also looking at opportunities to help for outreach to customer experiences. So it's really kind of a understanding sort of that full loop of how we have engagement from internal and external audiences, and then how we can build solutions that, that live in their, their their world, which we call their tenancy, and they own. We just help them uh, execute on those. So it's, it's when I heard this, I thought this sounds a lot like um, process reengineering, process automation, mm-hmm. where you guys can actually come in and help an organization look at their processes, find yes. out better mm-hmm. ways to optimize their processes and automate at the same time. Am I hitting that right? 100% correct. And it starts really with conversations like this, essentially the initial call when I meet with uh, new companies or companies we're already working with, we try to identify sort of those uh, initial pain points, those use cases that exist. What you're saying, there's processes that are manual. There's a lot of lift. There's a lot of uh, spreadsheets from all different areas feeding into one master giant spreadsheet. So we, we love hearing that because then we can look at the areas of opportunity to say, how do we find the maximum value, which is the most feasible solution that can be done in a very no code or low code type of implementation to find the biggest impact on the business. So that's exactly right. We're looking at those process improvements. It's not always automation. Sometimes it's better collaboration. It's better usage of the tools they already have, like better user adoption of the technology they have. We can help companies understand what they can do without even our help to implement from a no code type of a solution profile as well. So it's always kind of a high engagement model and we really have to get immersed with the companies we work with from small, medium business to enterprise. And then we're looking at those use cases and then charting those, prioritizing those, voting on those together with the stakeholders internally. Uh, it's, it, sound, it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> it does. Well, not for the client side. We are, it's a big uplift from the, from our point of right. view. Right. Well, and that's where the value comes in, right? Uh, you're, you're like, um, what's the best way to put it? You're like a third party agnostic. You're coming in and saying, hey, we, we, the culture that you've built around these processes, because that's really what happens, right? Some of them are ad hoc sure. processes and and yeah. you can show them a small change here can unleash all of this um, speed and, and, and innovation and things like that. Is that? That's exactly. And I think it's something that we do come in as their, essentially their digital innovation team. And that's why we kind of do as an ongoing service. And you really hit it right there in terms of we talk to companies that are wanting to scale. They're very innovative. We call them the jackrabbits. You know, they can do all these things. They keep buying SaaS solutions that fit a need. And then they have all these kind of things that live in their ecosystem that nothing communicates together and they never get past that next level to scale properly. And then the large organization, and this is not to speak badly about enterprise clients. We love our enterprise <laughs> clients, but we classify as junkers in a way just because they're so big. They, it's not a problem of scale. They have a problem of innovation because they have all those processes that exist in place. It's entrenched. People are scared of change. They don't want to do a new process. Maybe they feel a fear of the job loss because they might find an automation solution. We're not looking to replace people. We're looking to help augment, make a better life experience, a better job experience. So then what we try to create within those two areas from the jackrabbits to the junkers is what we call the juggernauts. That's the amalgam, the perfect kind of scenario where companies that can scale and innovate at the same time. And that's what we look at in areas of how we can help assist them as their digital partner. All right. So to, to, to get someone in, can you move a jackrabbit to a juggernaut and a junker to a juggernaut? You can do that or? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, 
it's something that's we find it. Uh, that's how the innovation service really works well. I mean, it's targeted more for the SMB market, you know, because even though we're doing innovation work with enterprise clients, and I'll get to that on the Junker side, but on the Jackrabbit side, certainly yes. Once we identify what they're currently working with, what their challenges are, we can help creating these uh, digital implementations that are going to stitch together all this crazy stuff they've already created internally. And as they scale, they don't have the break every time they go from three people to 10 people, 10 to 20. You know, there's like a thing called a Mikatani rule where things break after three to 10 people. So we look at ways we can help them along that way, chart that roadmap it together. So when they introduce these new solutions, there's full user adoption. They're showing the uptick. We're measuring the effectiveness of all these tools. So the ROI is completely baked in. We guarantee our ROI statement on every solution we build in. And then we help them scale as they're innovating. Now, the other side of the fence is, you know, the larger organizations, corporate companies from a thousand people and up, they have the, uh, they have the scale uh, question figured out. It's just the innovation thing. So we help them with the create their, we become that really go-to team where everything gets funneled into for all the lines of business into the center of excellence for digital solutions. And then we start executing solutions against that. So it's an ongoing engagement, an enterprise agreement where they funnel in the needs from the line of business. So HR might have one need because it's a big department. Right. Finance might have another need. And then they all have um, potential things that we can leverage from the technology investment through, let's say it's Microsoft stack, for example, for Power Automate, Power BI, you know, Power Apps. So we're looking at what they've already spent and how to fully maximize that. Maximize what they so have. Instead, to, instead of bringing absolutely. in a bunch of new tools and things like that, exactly. you guys are like, all right, what do you have? Maybe identify gaps. Yeah, they had gaps. And we can also depreciate or, or retire solutions that are redundant. So there might be um, multiple tools in place that they purchase because it's the next greatest thing. But then, you know, Microsoft keeps investing heavily and there's such a great roadmap and chart for what's coming down the line with Microsoft and all the cool things that are happening. We can look at what might be a like item, do that gap analysis. Can we replace it? Save them some costs on it, uh, licensing, and especially the larger the company, that could be a pretty significant uh, savings if they use fully their license they have and leverage that fully with their Microsoft investment. All right. So, so what what do you think? You you guys come in and engage with these teams. Yeah. What's the biggest barrier for innovation in these companies? Why can't they just do this themselves? I mean. They have all the knowledge of the systems. Mm. They so sure. so. Let's talk about the enterprise customer first, right? The big guys, because mm. it's different with a jackrabbit than yeah. it is with with yeah. a junker, right? So, what's True. the biggest barrier for them doing this themselves? Why why have you come in? You, you know what I think. What I found is in the enterprise clients we work with, we're doing the solutions for. There's a they have the investment in place. They have the five thousand plus. Microsoft license is already leveled out. They have maybe using 20% of the capacity of what can do. The teams that are in there, the massive IT infrastructure, they're focused on whatever they do from the systems they support, you know, in their environment. So they're not really focused on this kind of um, hyper automation type of things that we come in and do. So they're really, it's not in focus for them. Even if they've identified a center of excellence to create this areas with uh, all these uh, automation or uh, modernization opportunities can happen, they don't have the teams to execute on it. So that's where we kind of fall into it well. So we partner well in that situation. And again, they don't really have the, maybe they have a great strategic teams and all that. I'm not saying they can't do that part of it, but we live this. I mean, this is all we do, you know, so that there, it'd be, it's like a secondary job. They'd have to build their own team and find their talent to be able to execute on these solutions on an ongoing basis. So, and we're tied into that success along the way as well. So it's really kind of identified, 
they outsource for that particular portion of it. And then we're just implementing with them and along the way and help them stay in line with all the lines of business. So, so, so I heard they may not have the skills to know how to re-engineer processes because that that's not yeah. something that you're just born with. That takes yeah. a lot of knowledge, oh, yeah. right? Um, to course. do root cause and to do, mm -hmm. you know, all, 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 all that stuff. I, I just got through taking a bunch of classes on process re-engineering. So, okay. Um, right. Right. So, so yeah, exactly. I, 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 I know the book learning stuff. I've done some stuff too, but, but so skills is one thing. Sure. Um, but I could build a team if I have enough people. You could absolutely, but With the mud budget, you could build a team. Yeah. True. But also, is it also that you can bring in a new set of eyes without having any, any, um, no politics or baggage, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We come in and we're just looking at the problem and we're not looking at who, who created the problem? <laughs> yeah, it already exists. You know, we know that problem exists, and we're not trying to say you're doing something wrong. We're just trying to help them identify the stakeholders and create these ambassadors internally. They embrace it, so it's really important that we we really kind of I like to say we create stars internally. Like we said, these juggernauts. We're creating those internal juggernauts. We're working with them to make their jobs be easier and better. And then when they release these things into the field internally, or if it's an operational solution. They, the return on it and the measuring is so effective. It just, it just resonates. And, you know, they're measured by those kind of solutions as well. Internally. So your, your success is when, and tell, tell me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like you're saying your success is when you can step away from it and you've, you've stood up stars to handle it Yeah. because you don't want to be mm -hmm. there long-term, right? You don't want to be there for years and years and years. Well, I would say we do want to be there for long term in terms of an ongoing relationship. So okay. it is kind of like an annual type of agreement. So it's retained, but our solutions, once we deliver to a particular line of business, they don't break. You know, these are the kind of things that are not really heavy coding. There's more low code type of solutions. So yes, we'll release something to a team, a team and they'll run with it. And they don't have to, if there's something they have to fix or whatever, that's a little bit more of a code work, they probably have to come to us or hand it off internally. So everything is handed over. It's turnkey. But we're still engaged for other opportunities because most corporations we work with any size, there might be 15. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you have a punch yeah. list. Yeah. So we're at two, three years on any type of a relationship. But beyond that, who knows what's going to happen after three years? You know, things keep changing. Technology keeps improving every year. So we're excited to be there for long engagements. But these are not long term projects. Maybe that's more. Right, fun. right. No, so no. Two or three weeks, you can deliver a solution. I got you. you but know, but you're also you're also obviously doing training of people. Yes. Right. right on the on the new solution, you you probably mm -hmm. have some champions, which you mentioned. You call yes. them stars uh, for your yeah. for your juggernauts, which I like. I like that a lot. Yeah, exactly. um, have you seen exactly. that? New, there's that new commercial where everyone's a rock star. It was that. Uh, yeah, that was hilarious. Exactly. That was a good one. That, that was really funny. And it's like it's a no, most overused term, I think. You know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And but but in essence, that's what you try and do with your new solutions. Is you pick a couple evangelists rock stars. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're the rock yeah. star of this new automated mm -hmm. process that, you know, if you use this, you're going to be so much more efficient and productive than anyone else in the oh, company. Yeah. I mean, and it, it all, and it's also it's a contextual kind of solutions. You know, when we build something that's very specific, what does that need we're trying to fix? And if you can show a person, they're going to save a hundred hours a month by not doing that task. 
That's huge. And that gets sent up and wide. It's massive, you know, and it's all of a sudden they can do something else for the other area of the business that they were not doing before. So their job goes from manual kind of effort, churn, miserable life experience to a better employee experience where they're actually adding more value to the business. That's when we really identify success. It makes me excited when we see solutions like that, that just change an employee's outlook on when they turn on their computer every day. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you a tough question. You can you can say you don't want to answer it. No, is, no, of course. Is there is how often do you run into the concern that you guys are going to come in and replace people's jobs because mm-hmm. you're automating away what they do? Is that yeah, happen? And how often do you see that? I'll tell you this: we we do have a scenario we're working with a, an enterprise company, and we got engaged initially because uh, during COVID they got rid of a massive amount of the layoffs, about 250 to 500 people. I think it was in that range. Wow. And they said by automation and some of these things that we're going to bring in, we won't have to rehire. So we understand that's a potential scenario. So there's a real need to like, when there was a downsizing, depending on the industry, that can these solutions help us not have to replace talent and put uh, full-time employees back into place. Now, on the other side of that, when we build a solution where it does pretty much automate someone's tasks daily, the goal is, you know, we're not trying to do that to replace a job. It does come up. And I'm not going to say it never will happen, but really what I find in the companies we work with, they're trying to see how they can engage their workforce more effectively because they know there's talent there. And it might be some talent that's not even tapped into fully because they're doing something that's manual data entry all day long. Instead of saying, you know, maybe I should be visualizing, analyzing that data and reporting differently or having more discussions around what that data means versus typing it in. So if we can find ways to make that person's job change, I'd be more ha- and happy. But sometimes, yeah, of course. Some, if it's an automated, like someone just pushing a button all day long and a, a bot can do it, you know, maybe that is something that needs to be looked at and uh, replaced. Have Have you guys, um, are, are you using any artificial intelligence or machine learning techniques yeah, and or process or, or programs mm-hmm. to help with the automation? Or do you still see that's uh, too far out still? Where Where you guys sit with, with that? Prior to chat GPT being so publicized now, you know, and the AI and how it's being implemented in Microsoft and the Bing and the search now in Teams, that's still nascent. We're not really tapping into other corporations we're working with yet. Prior to that, uh, there's big things on the cognitive services, machine learning, and AI we were doing with um, Azure. So there was opportunities for some of the projects we build out, we create these knowledge bases and uh, curate massive libraries of content and you know, index all that libraries of content by using AI and uh, cognitive services. So it, it automatically populate all this kind of information with the AI uh, models we build. And then it would read all that content in terms of what we call like uh, blocks of chunks of content. So it index all that, find all the meta words and keywords. And so we build these sol- end solutions, which we call knowledge bases or smart libraries. When instead of someone having to go in and enter all that metadata and so it'd be highly searchable and friendly, the AI already done that, it completed that task for that person. So thousands of man hours were saved by just tapping into AI and cognitive services. And now with ChatGPT, with some of the companies we're working with, they have on like the high level E5 licenses and Teams is going to take a Teams Essentials. I think it's going to allow it to be utilized in there. More meaningful meetings. We're just going to be able to help companies enable because we're so on top of this technology. We're understanding what it's going to do. And once we understand fully how it's going to be implemented, we're going to be able to offer those kind of ideas, how they can best utilize it. Someone's going to be like out of the box. They might not need us to implement anything. Just to tell them to shape it 
right for their organization. Yeah. So, so you, you actually see chat GPT or generative AI like that as being yeah. something mm -hmm. that can actually really help is, is what you're saying with automation well, yeah. or information workers getting their work done more effectively. The information side for sure. And the AI cognitive services I talked about before, that's really building the models and building solutions that are going to help deliver kind of results that are unique for that particular fit. The chat GPT, how I see it getting really involved, once we understand how the AI is going to be, the, the API is going to be allowed to be utilized internally, because remember, it's really kind of feeling heavy external within oh, yeah, the search yeah. engine, having fun with it, just asking it to do all kinds of crazy things. Where we just can stay up all night playing with it, but I'm also seeing how it can be implemented and utilized by our technology teams to maybe be more efficient, whether it's document writing, code uh, ideas, you know, just help them understand how to develop more quicker. It won't replace our engineers, but it will help augment and accelerate maybe things. So what we're saying on this innovation on service, we might be able to do more in less time now, just because we can leverage what's going on with this whole AI. Gotcha. In fact, I actually interviewed ChatGPT on the podcast. Oh, terrific. Um, terrific. A couple, yeah. And I asked it a similar question that I asked you, what can, and of course it said, oh, I can do all that stuff. No big deal. Right. Um, but I still need it's a scary. human to prompt me is what it said, which I thought was hilarious. I told uh, one of my colleagues, I was like, we were uh, chatting on teams uh, just of, on, he was on chat GPT and I was as well. We were just playing around, coming up with ideas just to see what we could test the engine at. And I said, you know what? I feel, I'm humbled and I feel really stupid right now. This thing's better than I am. It's smarter. It's faster. And it's like, I'm never going to be able to compete, you know, as quick as it can do it. So I said, I better have a good personality because you know, I think I can win there. <laughs> oh, that's, that's hilarious. Um, what, um, can you give me an example of maybe an engagement you, you had that failed mm -hmm. and, yeah. and why mm -hmm. it failed? Um, do you have any, you have yeah, any examples that you, you don't, don't be, don't be specific, but just tell me, no, you know, I get it. You know, we, we find why we even have a whole, like um, when I do my um, kind of things, I do my Ted talk type of uh, presentations, you know, I'm not on Ted talk, but I'm just saying I do like those type of podcasts and things of that nature. One of the things I do is why digital transformation fails. And these are solutions we built as well. We come up with the greatest idea. We think it's going to work well, but we find out the adoption is really low once it's released. And some things happen, their budget's not fully executed against some other considerations or management hasn't fully pushed out the, you know, this as a real digital transformation for the company. So it's kind of stalls. And like, again, that's why we created this whole thing of perpetual agility, and perpetual innovation, because these solutions can stall. They can get released, but then what's next? So there's like the things they get a lot of pomp and circumstance around the release of a solution. And then... If it's not, a, what's the next thing to keep people engaged and to come back for what we're doing? If it doesn't really change the behavior, that's where these things have failed. So that's why we kind of created this whole way we do it now much more effectively because we're really identifying that business case problem. It has to fix a problem. It has to show an ROI. Otherwise, there's no reason to even do it. And then we're measured completely on that ROI on these on our contracts. So if our solutions do not hit on what we, um, we say it's going to do, we're not going to you know, we'll have to keep working for several more months until it gets right. So it's very uh, unique engagement model that way. And it helps it's mitigating that problem with delivering solutions that won't, you know, be adopted because they're going to be, have to be. So, so you're not just building something, even collecting requirements and then building something yeah. and throwing it over the wall. You guys go through the full deployment 
not just deployment, yeah. but adoption cycle too, right? So you're like going, we've got to get the ROI out of this. I kind of like that approach because there's skin in the game for you guys. Yeah, completely. We call it the ROI guarantee, the return on innovation guarantee, but it's really an ROI guarantee. Yeah. And it's measured up front with the client. So we do this workshops, our ideation sessions with our clients, our customers, and we identify all the pain points we have. We chart those, measure them with the real you know, time waste, whatever the measurement is, we're going to find it out and then calculate it very effectively and get agreement before we build it. Is this effective? Is this a, what we want to measure? Is this the best thing, the most prioritized solution? And then we work against that. And when we release it, then we do our weekly meetings for like delivery. But then once we get to post-delivery, the monthly kind of sessions charting, is the solution really being as effective as we said it was going to be? We knew that. And then we all agreed on the hypothesis of here's what we're going to build. They accepted the ROI. That's what we're challenged with. Our solution has to deliver on that ROI. So yes, we have skin in that game all the way along. And it's over that. Once our release is completed, so the next 12 months of charting against it to hit that full ROI. Wow. Some that's, will hit it much that's a yeah. very different model than what I've seen other people do, which is, hey, I built it. It meets your specs. Yeah. Done. Hey, right? We used to do that too. I mean, it wasn't like I was, we always like want to be there if needed, but you build a solution, you deliver it. And, and you're done. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Come back to us when you need it. And we always want to stay engaged, but this keeps us a little bit more, obviously, like you said, skin in the game, more involved. You know, my, you know, my name's all over this. It has to work, you know, and my reputation's on it. So if we don't deliver, it's really bad, you know, for me personally and professionally. So I want to make sure that we promise something. It's something that's achievable and it's going to hit the mark of uh, the expectations okay. and then ongoing. And it's after year one, it keeps earning for that company because they don't have to pay for it again. They own that solution. It, the ROI keeps uh, going up. Year two, it makes even more because we're not touching it again, typically. Yeah, yeah, typically. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, all right. So we, we went on, all right, barriers. Tell me your biggest success, littlest effort, biggest mm. visit, biggest uh, ROI, where it was like, wow, all they had to do was flip this switch and boom, everything, everything started working. Have you run anything like that? Yeah. You know, it's not even a large solution, but I, and I, I've been saying this use case uh, more, more recently than, because uh, it was a more recent one, I guess, for a large enterprise we work with. And it just was so successful because it was such a simple idea. And it was really goes to an employee's experience and also um, field engagement. So this company had it's about 5,000 uh, field sales force out in the field. And at the point of sale, they were having uh, supply chain issues because of post-COVID and all the supply chain issues. So fulfillment of, of when things were going to get to the designation issue where they were at the client. They didn't have information. So it would be, they'd send an email to one centralized inbox and within 24 to 48 hours, they might, they'd get the response back. And the reason why it was taking so long is because he had one or two individuals at the home office doing essentially email triage, hundreds of emails flooding this email box. And what happens, that person not only has to look at the email, respond, but also go to the other fulfillment uh, applications they have to see what's really the reason. And that took time. So that's why it took 24 to 48 hours at best. So we looked at ways, how do we automate? How do we simplify this? So for what we did for the, we created um, all the field is on iPhones, you know, devices. So they were able to use a little quick native app, which sent a formatted email into that same uh, centralized email inbox. But instead of a person seeing that, it, we had an automated response saying you were checking. And, and in parallel, that response is going directly to the fulfillment application. So it was touching the third party systems to see where the supply chain issue was, or if it's in Albuquerque and it's going to be there tomorrow, at least you had an answer for that client, right. you know, and so 
this is all happening in real time. So we went from 24 to 48 hours to get a response to that person when he's right at the point of sale to three to four minutes. So I just love this story because it's so highly engaged and it just works so seamlessly. And it was a, really could be built in like four weeks. And the other thing that we had from the, what, remember we talked about the employee, what they could do more for their companies of losing their job and then they're not answering emails. Well, now they're only having to engage when there's a real need. So they can look at the dashboard, really visualize the information. So when they have to step in, and be manual to that process. There's a whole thing in the work stream that we say, here's when you have to look at it, look at the, the dashboards we created. Here's the reason if there's a real supply chain issue, it's not gonna be there. Then they have to have some live communication, but really mitigated a lot of that. So that email churn's completely gone. So that that's pretty cool. I, and I like how you mentioned those workers are now looking beyond triage. They're not doing triage yeah. anymore. Not, not anymore, no. Yeah, which is, which is <laughs> awesome. That frees them up to be more innovative. That frees them up to do more valuable work. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that right there is, is where we need to get to, especially in, and, and I, I talk a lot about supply chain, secure supply chain, yeah. especially when we have to start competing with the world in manufacturing. Oh yeah. Right. And in, and in other things, any process automation that we have both in the back office and in the factory is going to be invaluable um, mm -hmm. to keep up no, with with what's going on in the world today. And we're going to have to, uh, that's just a, a fact. You know, I, I also have another case. I just, what I like is when some of our solutions have unexpected outcomes. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. really kind of cool. We built it for this reason. And it's a manufacturing client in the medical device manufacturer. They're growing, they're acquiring companies, but they built a thing to fix the dashboards they had, you know, there's all inventory management and at the location, but the unattended, um, outcomes for what it did on top of that for the sales side of the business and understanding when they could get the fulfillment done much quicker. And it was changing the whole sales methodology just by a solution we built that I didn't even have that as initial need. It just had extension. And, and I wish I would have visualized all those ideas for them, but it was great that he gave me that <laughs> feedback. Like, oh, that's super cool because that makes it, I get a little bit more feedback that way. Then I can look at the next solution. Yeah. Have you thought about it, how it charts across the rest of the business, not just fixing that particular area of the business. So that's what really we want to do in that type of engagement. Hey, that, that, that's, that's awesome when you get that secondary benefit and even tertiary oh, sometimes, yeah. right? Other oh, processes exactly. change because you automated another process. I love that. Mm -hmm. Hey, Andrew, it's been wonderful talking to you today. Oh, my uh, innovate. I never thought innovation is a service, but you proved it. You can do it. So <laughs> we're doing it. We're, we're proving it every day. So <laughs> well, hey, th thanks again, Andrew, from com for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks, Dan, for having me. Looking forward to another conversation. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.